Hello and welcome to a podcast of adventure and discovery, all inspired from the people I meet from my adventures in a tuk-tuk. On today's show, my guest is Mary Storey, CEO of the Rosie May Foundation. On the 28th of December 2003, Rosie May, her only daughter, aged 10 at the time, was brutally murdered by a 17-year-old boy she knew at a Christmas party. In the January, the Rosie May Foundation was founded in response to the overwhelming donations from the general public. The following Christmas, they stood on the shores of the Indian Ocean as the tsunami hit. Thankfully, they all survived to tell their story and build the Rosie May Foundation. Adventures in a Tuk-Tuk is sponsored begrudgingly by Waterside underscore calligraphy. Today I'm joined by Mary Story, co-founder of Rosie May Foundation. I'd like to start with your trip to Sri Lanka in 2004. So that was one year after the tragic loss of your daughter, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yes. Um, were you on the beach? Did you see it coming or were you woken up by it? What, what actually happened that day? We were actually waiting on the um, shoreline of uh, an island. Um, we were actually in the Maldives, James. We weren't in Sri Lanka. Okay. Um, we were in the Maldives. We were just waiting um, for um, to get on a dive boat, actually. Right. And um, we saw the the we were on the lagoon side of the island rather than the ocean side of the island. So what we saw was a surge okay. rather than a wave itself. Okay. Um, so one minute we were waiting um, with our dive instructor to get on the dive boat and the next minute, you know, we were up to our waist in water. Right. And um, the, the dive boat itself started rocking really violently. So they got um, people off the dive boat quickly. Yeah. And um, the thing that was the most alarming was what happened was after that was the wave just literally receded. It was like um, it was like somebody had just pulled the plug and okay. the water just went um, out as far as you could see. So almost back to the horizon. Um, yeah, exactly. So we could then see the, it exposed the top of the 10 meter reef that we had learned to dive Blimey. on. Mm -hmm. So we could see that, um, you know, there were fish flapping around because obviously it went out so quickly, it kind of just left fish. Mm -hmm. And so that was when um, our dive instructor said, you know, hey man, there's something really weird about this. This is not, <laughs> you know, because you know yeah. they're all cool and chilled out and all of that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and then a lot of the staff on the island were um, cook, uh, the cooks, the, the male cooks were yeah. from Sri Lanka. So okay. they then started getting phone calls on their mobile saying there's been, yeah, you know, there's been an earthquake in Indonesia. You know the waves hit Sri Lanka because we had 40 minute gap between it hitting Sri Lanka and being it between it hitting us. Okay, so so, so it hit Sri Lanka first. It hit Sri Lanka first, yeah. yeah, and then it and then it went on to the Maldives, but there was a 40 minute gap. So we kind of had a 40, you know, a half an hour warning really by the yeah. time people were getting phone calls. 
And then an amazing thing happened. And to this day, I don't know how they did it, but they just kind of mobilized everybody. And, you know, we were filling sandbags and they found they had this pump. And my husband was, you know, helping to pump out the water, you know, the previous yeah. wave, and, you know. And um, so it was kind of, you know, everybody hands on deck. There wasn't really, I don't remember that much kind of panic. Okay. We knew the wave was going to come back. And I remember one of my sons saying to me at the time, Mum, it's a tsunami. Yeah. Um, because, you know, this is what the phone calls, the people that were getting phone calls were saying. And I said to them, what's a tsunami? I'd mm. never actually heard of the word. No. And, um, you know, one of my sons said to me, well, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a huge wave and, you know, it, it will come back. And um, so I think that was, you know, kind of obviously the most frightening time because you didn't know how this wave was going to come back. But basically, we, you know, there's no, the thing is with the Maldives, there's no infrastructure on those islands. So, you know, kind of a lot of the deaths in places like Sri Lanka were caused by, you know, buildings, people being trapped in buildings, you know, buses, trains, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, there's, there's nothing yeah. there. It's about, you know, on our island, I think it was about 20 some beds and that was it. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, you know, we just kind of all gathered together in a, in the restaurant and then sandbagged, you know, kind of up and, and just yeah. kind of waited for it to pass really. Um, but it was when we went out to look at the damage and the devastation that we realized um, how bad it was because obviously if we'd been on the waves you know, on the ocean side of the island then it did come in as a huge wave and you know um, it caused you know a lot more devastation severe damage yeah it pulled up all the the docking where the seaplanes land and it snapped the, the legs on the water bungalows and all that kind of thing and um did you realize how much focus there was on from outside no, not at all absolutely not because all the communications were then cut off so we actually had no communication we had we were evacuated from the island the next day even right. when we got back to colombo airport in sri lanka yeah all we saw were people you know with injuries and um people in the pajamas people that yeah. it happened you know in the morning so you know just people um that have been affected we came back on one of the first emergency flights into <clears throat> manchester um the flights emergency flights weren't full because of course people couldn't physically get back you know to the mm. airports that was the problem so um it wasn't actually until we came through manchester airport and the um the press were there and obviously we because it was the first anniversary of the murder of, of rosie may the yeah. press knew that we weren't in the country and so um as soon as we came through you know we were recognized and yeah you know they were asking us about our story and everything else and then um when we got back home um it wasn't until we sat and watched it on the tv that we realized the the extent of it it's one of those moments where you remember where you were obviously it was boxing day so but the TVs were just full of it, weren't they? So, uh, uh, yeah. and it was, it was, it was, you know, but, but the horrendous TV, thing. 
Yeah, but the media didn't really give Sri Lanka much coverage. Um, I don't know if you remember, but it was kind of all about Thailand because mm. that was where, you know, the majority of the um, kind of foreign tourists and British tourists were. Yeah. And um, there were some eminent people who lost, um, you know, lost um, loved ones. So yeah. um, Sri Lanka got um, very little coverage. And in fact, um, Sri Lanka was the second, you know, worst hit after Indonesia, after the epicenter. You know, it had the highest death rate after Indonesia, the highest, um, you know, uh, amount of um, people displaced. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't actually given, you know, kind of the media coverage that, uh, that you know, it deserved. Sort of 10, 12 years until the bombings, Sri Lanka had probably just got back on its feet, hadn't it? And then the bombings yeah. happened and it all went downhill again. And now we've got exactly. COVID and it's all gone back down again. Yeah. So they're having, yeah. a, they're having a bit of a tough time, aren't they? They are. And it, it you know, it, it, it is. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, deja vu for them, really. It's the same time of year. Yeah. Um, it's the same people that are affected, you know, obviously, again, you know, it hits the uh, poorer people, you know, who are daily workers um, mm. more so. And um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I think it's doubly tough for them at the moment. This show is sponsored by Waterside Calligraphy. Beautiful writing brought to life on the page. Leading on from that, because... Had you set up the Rosie May Foundation before leaving for the Maldives, or did that happen after the tsunami? Um, yes, we had set it up. Yes, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we had. Yeah, we had. Yeah, we had. Yeah. But that but we didn't know. But we didn't know what we set it up because we had an amount of money that was given to us from yes. people all over the world. Um, because of the, um, you know, the, the high profile um, yeah. stuff in the media um, regarding Rosie May's murder. So um, we, we set it up for that reason to keep the money um, safe um, because obviously we felt it was public money and although it was given to our family, we kind of felt, you know, we didn't yeah. really uh, want to use it for that. So, um, so we did do that. But what we didn't know was how we wanted to spend use yes. that to use that money. And this yeah. sort of we'd already given half of it to Sheffield Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, you know, but we didn't know how we were going no. to use the other half of so, the money. So this sort of focused your 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 attention, and obviously the first, I believe, the first project was for homeless children. In Sri Lanka, is that correct? Yeah, it did. It, it kind, of, it definitely gave us the inspiration to, you know, to do, you know, to work in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, particularly because of all the children that have been made, um, you know, parentless by the tsunami. Yes. Um, and there were over a thousand children made parentless by the tsunami, and I guess that resonated us with, you know, yeah. obviously having lost a child and. Um, the fact that uh, the girls and women were particularly um, the, the deaths the, the deaths were disproportionate in terms of girls in terms of girls and women because okay. most girls and women um, generalizing here but a lot of girls and women can't swim okay and right 
you know, don't, will not have been into the sea, um, will, you know, they're, they're frightened of the sea anyway. Right. Um, so, you know, um, that, you know, so that was, um, you know, one of the reasons why, and obviously in Rosie May's memory that, you know, we decided to work with, with girls. Have Sri Lanka set up swimming lessons in, in, in the last 15 years? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and there's, there's NGOs that work with, um, you know, that set up quite quickly, actually, opportunities for, for girls to learn to swim. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and we, we also um, ourselves set up um, a surf club for, for women and girls at, um, at one point as well, which was very successful. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's moving on, but it's just not regard the sea as... Um, a source of um, food, you know, a, a source of income. income it's yeah. not regarded as, as you know, as leisure, really, um, particularly in the communities where we work, which are, you know, kind of the more disadvantaged communities. Every every Westerner that sort of goes to Sri Lanka just, just comes back, just, it's, it's skewed, you know, they just say it's such a fantastic, wonderful place, don't they? Uh, whether it's the beaches yeah, or, I mean, or, or it's got everything there, hasn't it? As a as a as an, a, sm- a smallish island. Yeah, it has. It's got such a diverse um, climate. You know, it's got rainforest. It's got mountains, tea plantations. It's got beaches, uh, coral coral um, yeah. gardens, and and uh, marine life um, for diving. So it has. It's got everything. And um, I think the beauty of it is, is that because it's a small island, nothing is too far. No, that's right. Yes, one day I will go. Have you travelled extensively over the island? Have you been all over? Yeah, we've done. We've done quite a lot. We've done quite a lot. You know, we've been across to the east coast. Been, you know, in fact, our our first project actually we did do a project before the children's home. Yeah. Um, we did a project in the south in Hambantota. Um, it was a feeding a feeding um centre for for um, families that have been um, displaced by the tsunami. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so we've done, done, done quite a lot of, quite a lot of the island, yeah. By tuk-tuk? Running. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How often do, do you normally go over or in the... um, Twice a year. Okay. And that's yeah. work-related rather than holiday-related? Yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely work-related, yeah. Yeah. First of all, what is Think Pink Sri Lanka, please? Um, so basically, it's um, a program to train um, women, um, single parent mums, um, to drive uh, a tuk-tuk and um, then set up a business as a taxi. Um, and the um, my idea for this program came from a couple of... Um, things really. Um, The first being that um, in 2015, um, some research was done by the UNFPA in Sri Lanka, which which, um, found that over 90% of women that use public transport in Sri Sri Lanka have had experiences of sexual harassment at any one time. So obviously that was a key, a key key factor. That's a shocking Um, number. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And um, so, um, so safety of women and and girls in particular was a key 
key um, driver for the project, but also um, we offer training programs. So part of our work is that we offer um, skills training to um, women that are living on or below the poverty line who are mostly single parent mums. Yep. Um, and the idea of that is to um, obviously give them a hand up and um, to help them to become independent and to prevent them from having to make the heartbreaking decision of putting their children into an orphanage children's home. Um, because in Sri Lanka, there's not really, if you are struggling to manage and you don't have support from your immediate family, um, there's not really, you know, kind of many alternatives. So um, putting your child into an orphanage is one of them that is offered. Okay. And obviously, um, you know, all children wherever possible should be with their mum. That's yes. where they want to be, um, you know, and the, the, you know, the, 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 the statistics for damage from children being institutionalised obviously is, is, you know, so the state, is widely the, known. The, you know, we don't have children's homes here anymore. You know, so um, so the state so, will look after the children if 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 a if a single exactly, pair, yeah, so exactly. the state will um, take that cost. Um, so um, so we um, because what we found for our work with the Rosie May Children's Home is that actually, though the majority of those girls, over eighty percent of those girls, are not actually orphans in the true sense. Um, over eighty percent of them have at least one living parent, which is a single parent mum. Okay. So then we looked into well why are they there if they've got a mum why are they there and you know it's 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 mostly um economic reasons right. um so um so what we did we set up a program called project hope which is a community-based program program which identifies these women and tries to uh support these women before they get to that desperate situation of, of having no choice but to give their child to an orphanage and because the issue as well is once they get into the system, it's very difficult for them to get them out. Even okay. if they're in a position to get them out, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Because institutionalization obviously is an industry. It brings in an income. Yes. And it's, you know. so, um, so, um, so this was one of the programs because what we found was that this gives the women a robust income. Yes. Um, as opposed to the other trainings that we offer um, in terms of sewing, cooking, incense, it's making all those things are, you know, keep their kind of head above water. Yeah. But the, the tuk tuk um, taxi driving was the one that kind of made them, you know, a robust income. So that was the other reason. Um, and I was traveling between, because um, we work in Nepal as well, and I was traveling between the two countries and stopped off in Dubai for a night. And I yep. saw um, women driving taxis, cars, yep. um, with pink roofs and pink headscarves. And I thought, you know what, if they can do it in Dubai, which is such a patriarchal country, that we can do it in Sri Lanka. Yeah. So, um, because that, you know, you, you don't see women women um, drivers in Sri Lanka particularly, but you definitely do not see women tuk-tuk drivers. Um, so yeah, so that was how we started, and um, we've got a fleet of ten tuk-tuks now. Okay, that's good. And, um, yeah, and um, you know, they drive the other women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of school runs, um, which is um, quite a lucrative. Um, avenue for them because um parents will pay them a retainer in the holidays so that you know they can keep them you know keep them yeah and um so the demand is uh could you put more on is there is 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 there further demand for these uh 
Pink Tuk Tuk's? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you know, we could set up that program if we had the, you know, the revenue to do so. We could set up that program anywhere in Sri Lanka. Okay. Um, we, we have just trained the first um, 20 women to drive in Colombo okay. as well. Um, so, um, you know, but it, I think that I think the the unique thing about this program is that actually you can pick it up and, and put it almost anywhere. Yes. And, you know, I think it's it's it could go global you know i think there's a need for it was there much opposition from the men to you know what? there wasn't there isn't we did anticipate more but um we've had very little and i have to say the male tuk -tuk drivers are very helpful if the women break down they go the wrong you know uh, yeah. wrong, get lost or whatever um you know they all tell us um that the you know the male tuk -tuk drivers are very helpful and i think as well they don't really see them as a threat because we operate in a different way okay. in terms of our women are not um waiting you know on the tuk tuk stands waiting for yeah passengers all their work is pre-booked it's like private hire in this country yeah so you know so they're only actually seen on the road driving yeah. um i think if they were queuing with the other tuk-tuk drivers waiting for business then yes i think there would probably be an mm. issue so i think because you know women being women they when they don't have any work, they will make use of that time. And, you know, they're probably doing something out and, you know, another income generation program or, you know, they're looking after their children or they're doing whatever. Whereas men, know, men just sit down. Pardon? Men just sit down. Women do something else. I th I, that's what I found. <laughs> yeah, well, because the male <laughs> tuk-tuk drivers will just sit and, you know, and wait, wait yeah. in their tuk-tuks yeah. all day for a fare. You know, they'll sleep yeah. in the tuk-tuks. They'll, yeah. you know, I mean... Yeah. That's what so, men. That's what men do. You know, yeah. women are much yeah. more productive. It's yeah, it's a different model that we use, and I think you know that that helps with the you know the kind of integration because yeah, it's a definitely a male-dominated uh, occupation. So the ten tuk-tuks you have, do you have ten regular women that drive those tuk-tuks? Yeah, we do. We do. We have um, ten drivers. Um, sometimes they change. You know, women circumstances change and then you know we'll train you know we'll train other drivers and what we're trying to do now is we're trying to, with 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 the tuk tuk is we're trying to introduce kind of like part sharing okay. so that actually we can keep the tuk tuks on the road for longer because you know more women are using them so to get more use out of the vehicles you know logistically it's a challenge because obviously you've got to have women that live in the same geographic location to be yep. able to do that kind of sharing thing but um that's i think you know that's kind of the way forward so that actually you can get maximum use out of the vehicles so when you train the women i presume just training them to drive the tuk tuk is quite a small part do you train them in business mm, yeah. do you train them yeah, we do. to manage yeah, money we and so forth because they go to the local driving school for the training. Yeah. When I say we train them, we don't train, you know, they go to the local driving school and, um, you know, we fund that training for them. Um, but then we also, we offer them a business startup, basically. So it's, it's personal safety, it's um, household, you know, um, budgeting, yeah. it, you know, business management, it, managing the, uh, the basics of, um, maintenance of their tuk-tuk, pairs, 
you know, those kind of things. We work with Bar with um, David Motor Pereira's company actually, and they um, give offer training for the women in terms of looking after the tuk-tuks. Is the training ongoing? Or yes, it... yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, again, they offer an advanced driving course for the women, which they also do. Mm. Um, we offer English lessons because obviously if they are giving um, taxi rides to tourists, then, you know, they need to have, you know, kind of a basic level of English. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's completely ongoing. They join a savings group so that they can uh, understand the importance of saving, yeah. um, learn to save. So yeah, there's, it's, it's a whole package. It's not just, as you say, but the actual driver training is a very small part of it. Hello and welcome to another Adventures in a Tuk Tuk's podcast. For more information on any of our podcasts, please go to my website, adventuresinatuktuk.com. Do you think the European Tuk Tuk's have the potential to radically change Sri Lanka's thinking on sexual harassment within the, within the culture? I would hope so. I think we need more to make an impact, obviously. Mm. And, you know, I think we need um, pockets of them in different areas to be able to make an impact. Um, but certainly um, on a localized scale, what we've seen so far is that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, women will tell us that no longer have to sit. They Previously, they would chaperone their daughters in yep. tuk-tuks to school and to after school and all those sort of things. And now, you know, they happily, obviously, can send their, their girls to school with a female driver. So that then frees them up and um, they can, you know, work more hours. And so it's more productive for them as well. And yeah, I think it, I think it just, just, exposes doesn't it the situation yeah. and you know raises awareness of the whole of the whole situation and you know that actually women don't have to um <clears throat> put up with it we, we work with the women's police bureau as well and we do education around you know sexual harassment and what is sexual harassment and um, but that, i suppose that, that's a very important question is what may be sexual harassment in sri lanka may not be conceived here it may it has maybe a different definition in different parts of the yeah, world. and obviously it ranges from, you know, a guy that might just pretend to fall asleep on a crowded bus so that he can put his his head on a woman's shoulder and, you know, have yeah. that act. You know, somebody that kind of does a full exposure. I mean, you know, it's one, you know. So it, it's what, you know, it's what is regarded as, as sexual harassment. But yeah. what has happened is that it's kind of been normalised. Mm. Um, so people... It, I think it's just uh, just it's only four percent of women that ever report any sexual harassment in Sri Lanka. So that's not a lot. No, it's not a lot. No. no. So um, so yeah, it it's definitely um, raises awareness. To be honest, it, it there's so many different strands to it. You know, it, it sounds like it. I didn't realise there were so many strands to the whole. Yeah, thing. It, you know, it just ticks a lot of boxes, really. Um, I mean, the other thing is digital. Um, technology because we work with a local com a com a national company called Pickney, so they're kind of like Sri Lanka's version of Uber. Okay. And um, so the women will then learn, you know, how to use a smartphone. Okay. Um, and you know, digital technology. So again, you know, that's another, you know, it's another skill. It's endless. Endless. So the ten, the ten you have, at the moment, are rented which obviously provides you with an income. How how quickly can you 
provide another one and another one. Obviously, the more you have, the as easier it is. As we have as quickly as we have donors. Okay. Um, so what happens is we we have do we have you know donors that will donate the a tuk tuk. Um, yeah. So we use we we refurb, try and get tuk that you know are in in pretty good condition, and then we will refurb them and respray them, and donors will will donate um for that which is um at the moment it's four thousand pounds okay it's a big donation you know they're not it's not, si know, it's not silly money though it's 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 doable it's not, no. know, they're not really uh, any you know similar price to here isn't it really if yes yes if you're importing them you know i mean that just include the cost of obviously you know training uh, yeah. the women and you know all the kind of ins and outs as well but essentially the big cost the biggest part of the cost of that is for the vehicle itself yeah um so that might be a company it might be a personal donation it might be a group that fundraises to buy one you know we've got all sorts of different people that have that have done this yeah. it might be that somebody wants to donate one and somebody's memory you know there's lots of different reasons that people would want to donate one and we're able to have you know we put there if they're a um, company we've put the logo you know on the back of the tuk-tuk so you know okay. it's good you know they get some pr out of it as well then the women rent the tuk-tuks off the charity so um we don't the tuk-tuks are not given to the women they are rented and um the reasons for that is that we are then able to maintain the tuk-tuks and keep them roadworthy and in a good okay. condition so for you know obviously uh, picking up people and transporting them around the women wouldn't have because they're starting their businesses they wouldn't have the money yeah. to manage you know fully comp insurance you know everything yeah. that happens to yeah. get that tuk tuk and keep it in good condition we are looking at um, a long-term strategy of whereby the women may be able to loan the tuk-tuk so that eventually then the vehicles become theirs. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, they've got to build up their business first. And, it's like a, know, a like, like a lease almost. So it, Yeah, like a lease system, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, obviously that's not available. You know, that's yeah. not for them economically. That's not appropriate. And our motto or um at the, at the charity is a hand up rather than a hand out so yes. um we feel that you know that the women the women contribute actually towards their own driver training as well it's a small yeah. amount but we we don't you know everything nothing no. is given no. absolutely free there's always a contribution there's always participation to create that you know kind of ownership oh i think that's, even, that's very important it, i think yeah, and even with the vehicles, you know, they agree to pay damages up to a certain amount. Okay. You know, we don't just pay for all the damages. We have a certain amount which they are liable for. Yeah. And then obviously bigger amounts, you know, we obviously can claim on the insurance. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are lots of, you know, kind of strategies that we put in place to create that kind of ownership. And um, I, presume so you, you, I presume you have a manager in the... Shrinker, do you? Yeah, we have project manager. Um, she looks after all the trainings actually. And we, what we've done is two of the women, two of the first, our first women that learnt to drive uh, initially, they now train, they now take out the other women. So once they've, you know, they've started their lessons um, and um, they pass the test, then they take them out to get them kind of just used to the roads and the yeah. area and 
um, you know, they have to do like a certain amount of mileage before they're allowed to then start picking people up and uh, charging people, you know, as a as a business for taxes. So, so you know, so it's great for them because mm. their status has now been elevated mm. to, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, driver trainers. So, um, yeah, so it's good. So 10 could become 100. It could be. And, you know, that would be my dream, yeah, to have them globally, actually. Yeah. And I think... If we don't do it, somebody else will, because I think it is, you know, very much needed. Welcomed, actually. Anybody you talk to, you know, even people here, you know, uh, you know, I've spoken to a lot of women here who would, if they had the choice of a female driver, would, mm. would prefer it. The future is uh, definitely pink, isn't it? Bright and pink for the for the. We think so, James. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we think so, yes. It's uh, so... Uh, Going forward, it's 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 about fundraising, and it's about donations, and it's about it putting is, more on the is, road. And, and you know, especially now, it's you know, it's a huge struggle for charities. It's a huge struggle for everybody, obviously. Yeah. But I think for charities, and particularly small, particularly small charities, um, you know, we don't have access to the to the grants that um, you know the bigger charities do have, and consequently, you know, the majority of our money we raised ourselves um, yep. through events, and of course, events have now <clears throat> dropped off the calendar. So, um, you know, it's 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 a tough time. You know, we recognise that obviously it's it's a tough time for for a lot of people as well. So um, it is, it's, it's just trying to be, think outside the box really, and just develop different models of, um, of fundraising to be able, for us to be able to carry on and do what we do. UK Tuk Tuk Challenge raised over £2,000 for the Rosie May Foundation during our short trip to Wales. This has inspired me to think about how I can raise money myself and I've come up with a bit of a cunning plan. Adventures in a Tuk Tuk is going to raise the £4,000 needed to put another pink Tuk Tuk on the streets of Sri Lanka. So over the next few months we'll be making a start on raising some of the money. I've set up a Just Giving page and in the new year we will be out and about in the tuk-tuks raising the profile of this worthy cause. If you would like to know more about the pink tuk-tuks of Sri Lanka please go to the Rosie May Foundation website or my own adventuresinatuktuk.com. Any questions on tuk-tuks please get in touch, email me anything you like at followthetuktuk at outlook.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. This has been a C&P production for Adventures in a Tutu.